If you have your Bible, uh, turn with me please to the book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And the verses that we are returning to this morning are uh, particularly verses 3 through 8, verses that uh, speak to us about gifts uh, that God gives uh, to his people, to believers. And uh, so just to get the passage before us afresh, I'm going to read And we will include uh, verses 1 and 2 as well, uh, just to uh, give us that very helpful and important context. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and not all members have the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy Let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teaches, on teaching. Or he that exhorts, on exhortation. He that gives, let him do it with simplicity. He that rules, with diligence. He that shows mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation, which means hypocrisy, without hypocrisy. All right, so here uh, we have this passage, and in particular, uh, verses 3 through 8, as I mentioned, that uh, give us some important teaching about uh, gifts that God gives to his people. The title uh, for our message two weeks ago, and then again today, this is part two, is uh, thinking about God's gifts. And I include that word thinking because thinking is uh, very much the subject of verse 3, which introduces this section four times. uh, The term thinking uh, is used in that uh, verse. And so the Lord is uh, challenging us about our thinking about spiritual gifts. All of this, of course, flows out of verses 1 and 2, which we read also this morning, where the the earnest appeal was given by the Apostle that we focus the living of our lives on the Lord and really as an act of worship to the Lord, 
that we would present our bodies, our entire being, as a living sacrifice unto him. So the way we are to think of our living is that all of it, 24-7, is, is offered to the Lord, right? To that one, the creator that Psalm 148 called us to praise. And so all of our living is to be offered really in worship unto him. To do that, verse 2 tells us, we must not allow our living to continue to be pressured and shaped by the ungodly world in which we live. We are not to be conformed to it as jello in a mold. In addition, verse 2 continues, we must allow the Spirit of God to use the Word of God. Those things aren't mentioned in that verse, but other scripture tells us that that's how our mind is renewed. Right? Our mind is renewed by the washing of water, by the Word a word that is authored by God the Holy Spirit and obviously ministered by him as well. So we are we are to allow the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to renew our minds and then we must take what we are taught in that word about the will of God, take it out of the classroom and put it into the laboratory of life. I use that illustration of a chemistry class, you sit in the classroom, all of these, this knowledge and facts are coming at you, but then when you go into the laboratory, that's where you actually test those things that you're learning. And you see firsthand, aha, it does work that way. And uh, that is uh, what that verse is calling us to. And so that's part of our offering of ourselves this living sacrifice unto the Lord. We're taking his will and by his grace we're living it and uh, we're seeing it to be for ourselves. We're seeing it to be good and pleasing and perfect, right? And uh, that is what our living is to show us as we live in accordance with his will. Again, by his grace, again, none of it done perfectly, uh, but we, we're heading somewhere. Right? And it's Christ-likeness uh, that we're heading to, and uh, that is what we continue to press to. So then, flowing out of that, where the Apostle starts uh, is with these words about gifts. Two weeks ago, the first message prepared us or set the stage for our thinking about God's gifts. We were told that we have to start with this. Verse 3, do not think too highly about yourself. This I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. The Apostle's word is to every man that is among you, to everyone that is among you. That is, he says this to every believer. There are no exceptions. Right? He's writing to believers. His brethren, that's who he addressed in verse 1. So verse 3 is a continuation of that. So when he says everyone among you, he's not including the world. Right? He's talking to believers. 
and he's talking to believers without exception. So that includes every true child of God that is in this room. Right? Uh, he is talking to us and telling us that we need to be careful how we think about ourselves. This is a word of restraint, if you will. It is pulling our thinking about ourselves down from the heights. Right? There's, a, there's a place where we ought to think. Here's that place. And we are not to think too highly. Right? We are not to go above that place. And what is that place? Well, this word is a word of reflection. You notice it says, uh, every man uh, that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, that is with sound judgment, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. And in my thinking, what that is directing us to is to remember the faith that saved us. We are saved by faith. And the testimony of the gospel that was believed by us is a testimony that says we are sinners. We are cannot save ourselves. And so in that sense, we are helpless. Try as you might, the strongest among us, the wisest among us, the richest among us, the most popular among us, try as he or she might, cannot save themselves. When we reflect upon the measure of faith that was given to us, we come to understand that we all are recipients of that. If we are children of God, we're all recipients of that same faith. We all stood in the same need. We all were incapable of saving ourselves. And so that which will help us restrain our thinking about ourselves is to reflect on our salvation and the condition in which Christ found us. Right? And that needy, needy, helpless condition. We are to think soberly in keeping with God's dealing to each of us alike. The measure of faith, the faith that saved us, using the language of Romans 5, when we were yet without strength. When we were yet, sorry, when we were ungodly. When we were yet sinners. That's the way Romans 5 talks, right? We were without strength. We were ungodly. We were sinners. And yet Christ loved us and he offered himself for us. He paid the penalty for our sin. And so, as 1 Corinthians 4 reminds us, who makes you to differ one from another? And what do you have that you have not received? Now, if you did receive it, in other words, it was given to you, why do you glory? 
Why do you boast as if you had not received it? Right? And so it is that reminder that we owe everything to the Lord. Right? And so let us not think too highly of ourselves. And this again is stated at the introduction of a section talking about spiritual gifts. And so if we are to think about God's gifts in a right and proper way, this must be part of our thinking. There needs to be a humility. There needs to be this recognition that we have received from the Lord. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And then secondly, again, setting the stage by way of preparation for our thinking about God's gifts, we were to think about our place in the body of Christ, verses 4 through the first part of verse 6. Though there are, sorry, in verse 4 rather, the Apostle Paul points to the human body as an illustration. In one human body there are many members, many parts, and those members do not have the same office as the King James word. It means function. They do not have the same function. They don't, they don't do the same activity, right? The different parts of our body. Um, and we talked about that more last time. So that is the illustration. So, verse 5, it is with the spiritual body of Christ. Though there are many persons who are believers... In Christ, that is, in our shared relationship with Christ, right? I am a believer in Christ, and I trust you are a believer in Christ, right? So we have this shared relationship with Christ, and in that shared relationship with him, we are one body. There's many of us, but we are one body. He is the head. Other passages, of course, teach that to us as well. As such, though, as we are members one of another, verse 5 tells us, that is, we belong to one another, that is, we are mutually dependent on one another. We need one another, right? Uh, your eyeball needs your mouth, and your nose needs your feet, right? Um, and your hands, and so on, right? So it is in the spiritual body, uh, we are members one of another. There is this mutual dependence. There's an organic uh, dependence of ourselves upon one another. Even so, even though there is that mutual dependence, even though there is that common connection with Christ, even so, verse 6, we find that we are different than each other. And the differences exist according to the grace given unto us. Notice verse 6, well, verse 5 and 6 together. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Right? And obviously, the one who gave us the grace is God himself. And what that reminds us of then, if, if 
if the differences are according to grace given by God, in other words, here comes God's grace to us, to you and you and you and me, and if it's if if it's in his giving of that grace to each of us individually that our differences arise, those differences are intended by God. He's the one that made the differences. Right? He's the one in ministering his grace to us, in creating those differences, he is the one that is the source of it. And 1 Corinthians 12 reminded us of that. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And of course, that's talking about the human body, but we're using that as an illustration to the spiritual body, and the same truth applies, right? So we're not all hearing, we're not all smelling, right? There's these differences, right? So again, this is setting the stage for us to think about God's gifts. We are to not think too highly of ourselves. There's to be this humility, recognizing our total dependence on the Lord, every one of us, right? And then we are also to recognize that though there is the one body and there is this mutual dependence, yet there are God-given, God-intended differences, right? So these, these uh, points are uh, preparatory for us to think about God's gifts, right? So we are not to think too highly of ourselves, we are to think about our place in the body, mutually dependent on our fellow believers and yet different than them. So now we're ready to think about God's gifts. That brings us then to the middle of verse 6 and on down through verse 8. <clears throat> what I would like, we're, we're going to look at the gifts that are identified. There are seven gifts that are identified here. In other passages, there are other gifts. That same term is used. Uh, and um, other items are listed altogether. Uh, most uh, writers would say there are at least 17 specifically identified gifts. And so here, having only seven, uh, this list obviously is not exhaustive. But <clears throat> before we look at the list... I do want us to consider this. And this really then draws on what we have already, the stage that we have already set. Verse 6 says, Having then gifts If I have a gift I have a gift. What that implies is someone gave it. Right? Otherwise, I mean, by definition, if, you know, if I have a gift, then it's something that I didn't work for, I didn't earn, no one owed it to me, but someone gave it to me. And so again, thinking about God's 
gifts. That's where I want us to start here. God has given. And it is so interesting how this is emphasized in this section. Let's look back at verse 3. Paul the Apostle writes, For I say, through the grace given unto me. Paul even testifies, even as he's writing to us about God's gifts, so that we might think about God's gifts, he's reminding us that he is the recipient of a gift. And in fact, his writing and his motivation and purpose and direction for writing flows out of what he has been given by God. And so, as we think of God's gifts, God has given Grace to the Apostle Paul, this human author of Scripture. And by his pen, right, God is speaking to us. And so by this gift, as you see in verse 3, I say, through the grace given unto me to every one of you. right? That I say to you, and I'm saying it through the grace that is given to me. And so by God's gift to Paul, Paul gives instruction to his fellow believers. Let's go back to Romans 1 and let's see him speak of that same kind of idea. Notice how the whole epistle starts. So we've been studying this epistle for many, many weeks and months and uh, notice how it started. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Right? And so he's talking about Christ, and then he says, by whom, that is by Christ, we have received grace and apostleship. He's using the royal we there. He's speaking of himself, but he's saying, I have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. And so he's testifying that he has received grace and apostleship and this is the purpose. This is the end. This is what God had in view when he gave this gift to the apostle and that is the obedience of faith or the obedience to the faith among all nations. Right Now, if you go to chapter 15 which is almost at the end of the book, we're going to see the same kind of thing. Romans 15. Look at verse 15. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, 
that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God to this end, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. And again, think of Romans 12, right? where he is earnestly beseeching us. He's not commanding us, but he's beseeching us, right? calling us to this voluntary offering up of ourselves in sanctification unto the Lord. And folks, all of this is him being faithful with the gift that God gave him. Right? He's received a gift from the Lord and he's employing it for our spiritual benefit, right? For the advancement of Christ's kingdom in the heart, in his case, primarily of the Gentiles, right? And so the apostle himself, even as he now begins in chapter 12 to speak to us about spiritual gifts, he's using himself as an example, right? He started the book, testifying to the grace he had received and his purpose in it, the obedience of faith among the Gentiles. He's going to close the book, testifying to why he has written. It's because of the gift that he had received and he's employing it for uh, the offering up of the Gentiles, acceptable unto the Lord. Right? And so he stands as an example. If we are to think about God's gifts that we have received, we can think about the example of Paul. And we can say, Lord, help me to be faithful with what you've given me, just like Paul was faithful. And the other thing, of course, we see in Paul's example is that Paul had received that gift for whose benefit? For someone else's benefit, right? It's not so he can blow his own horn, right? It's so that he can minister. And that's what verse or chapter 15 testified to, right? It says, I've uh, written to you because of the grace that uh, that is given to me of God that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Here I am, I'm serving, I'm ministering. And uh, so again, that's right thinking about God's gifts. Paul himself gives us an example. So if we go back to Romans 12, right? I'm saying that, that this passage testifies to this idea of gifts. So we saw in verse 3, Paul saying, grace has been given to me. And again, in verse 3, notice as he says, I say, through the grace given to me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. God has allotted to every man, that is every believer, this measure of faith. Or, Though it's a different word, you could say God has given. And so even there, we are reminded of God's gift of salvation. 
if you are a believer, God has given you the gift of salvation. And of course, Ephesians 2, which is on the front of your bulletin, right, reminds us of that. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Right? And so God has given to us salvation. God has given the gift of salvation that unites each believer with Christ. And it unites each believer with his or her fellow believers. This gift that we share in common. And by it, we are one body. We are dependent one on another. Right? There is this gift of salvation. And it's not exclusive to me. Right? You, as a believer, have it too. You have it too. You have it too, right? Each of us have that gift. And so God has given. We are thinking about God's gifts and we're thinking about that common salvation that we have. And Paul, sorry, Peter uh, puts this language in a very interesting way. If you would keep your finger in Romans, but turn with me to Second Peter just briefly, chapter 1. And what is interesting is uh, Peter is writing to us as an apostle, one who occupied the office of apostle. And the Bible's testimony as to one of the requirements uh, to hold that office is that they have to have seen the Lord Jesus. Paul was an apostle. He saw the Lord Jesus. But he was as of one born out of time. He testifies to that in 1 Corinthians 15. Peter was an apostle and he was among the first of the apostles. When John opens his gospel, uh, we're told of John the Baptist's ministry. And John the Baptist introduces the Lord Jesus, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And John the Apostle was there and Andrew, Peter's brother, was there. And what did Andrew do? He went and got his brother. And so from the very beginning, Peter was one of those apostles. Not only was he one of those twelve, and of course Judas disqualified himself by his betrayal, but Peter was one of those twelve, but he was also one of those three. There was Peter, and there was James, and there was John. And those three had particular opportunities given to them by the Lord. Privileges given to them by the Lord. Um, they were brought into the room when Jesus approached the body of a 12-year-old girl lying in death. And Jesus 
tells that dead body to arise. Peter was there. And Peter tells us here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Peter, James, and John were the only three of the apostles that saw the Lord Jesus brighter than the sun and heard the voice of God the Father testifying to God the Son. Eyewitnesses of His majesty. Oh, what a privileged apostle. But you know how he starts this epistle? Look at verse 1. Simon Peter, yes, a servant, yes, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us. We all have received the same gift. You can be the greatest of the apostles, right? One of those inner three. And yet, here I am, just Joe Blow, Paul Johnson, right? 21st century. Light, precious faith. It's the gift of God, right? So as we think about God's gifts, folks, here is this. We, you, have the same gift that Peter had. You have the same gift that Paul had. You have the same gift that all of those apostles had. This gift of salvation. This gift of faith. God has allotted to you. He has dealt to you that gift. Think of that. You too are privileged. As all believers are. God has given. God has given. It's a gift. I have it from His own hand. He has purchased it with his own blood and I am the beneficiary of that. So too are you if you know the Lord Jesus by faith. God's gifts. God has given grace to the Apostle Paul. God has allotted a measure of faith to every believer. And then thirdly, verse 6, back in Romans 12, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So twice in that phrase, this emphasis on gifts. God has given, and by the way, notice that language, according to the grace that is given to us, Paul says. Us. So that includes You as a believer, it includes me as a believer, and it includes Paul, the apostle, as a believer. 
right? And he's wanting us to remember that even the apostle, right? And we held him up as an example, rightly so, because he is authorized by God, the Holy Spirit, to say, be an imitator of me, be a follower of me, even as I am a follower of Christ. And so Paul testifies to his receiving of grace from God and his using of that grace to serve and minister to the body of Christ. And we, we have received from God grace like Paul has received grace. God has given to Paul and Paul's fellow believers gifts. But they are gifts that differ. I am Paul, but I'm not the Apostle Paul. Right? Okay. We have gifts that differ. But we have gifts. And it's all given to us by God. So God has given to us then gifts. He is the giver. And of course, as verse 6 now comes closer to our considering of the individual gifts, we are reminded that there are differences. And these differences are according to the grace given to each believer by God In other words, the differences are intentionally present in the body of Christ, right? There's this common salvation that every member of the body of Christ has received. That's a gift from God too, right? And and that's common to us all and that unites us all in Christ. But God has also given these other gifts and in them he has intentionally brought differences into the body. And so the differences are intentionally present in the body of Christ according to the will of the giver. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with someone else having something different? Rightly or wrongly, when our children were young, you can be thankful you're not a pastor's kid because you don't get talked about from the pulpit. (laughs) Um, But when our children were young, uh, rightly or wrongly, we, you know, when it came birthday time, we didn't do the, you know, big invite all your friends in and get presents from them and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we, you know, we would just, you know, do something special for our kids around our, usually started with the breakfast table. Okay. So night before mom, I helped some, maybe, I don't know, probably not. She says, <laughs> she's, she's looking at me kind of, okay. So I didn't help too much Well, I paid for it. Let me see. I, I get credit for that. <laughs> anyway, mom would, uh, set out. Uh, something for the kids, right? Kids, they all got something. It's not, it's not all of their birthdays, right? But they all got something. And uh, again, I get, I don't know totally our rationale other than to, you know, make it a fun time for everyone. But maybe it was to prevent, you know, everyone kind of looking and saying, oh, you know, I don't know. But, uh, The point here is, are you okay 
with someone having a gift different than you. And really the way Paul introduced this section, that we are not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, right? Some of that is reflected in our contentment or lack of contentment with what God has given us, right? In other words, when I look at someone else in the body of Christ and, and you know, sometimes folks, I mean, you know, you, you, you consider these people and you're just kind of amazed, right, at what it appears the Lord has provided to them. And uh, I think this is appropriate. We had uh, Sunday night. Some of you met uh, Morgan Farr. Uh, he's originally from Wales, uh, living, living in Sweden for the last 10 years. And uh, he came to know the Lord here on Vancouver Island, imagine. Uh, but anyway, um, we chatted with him a bit Sunday night, and then we had uh, opportunity to visit with him Monday afternoon and had him for supper and so on. And, uh, you know, and, and he's just a man, right? Like we all are. But, you know, we, it's just pretty amazing what the Lord has enabled that man to do in service for the Lord, right? Uh, in preaching the gospel and preaching it without fear. And, you know, even in the face of, you know, intense animosity and antagonism and eggs being thrown at you and flour dumped over your head and preaching the gospel. And, you, you know, you, you observe that. And, I mean, I assume he's not lying, right? Because we weren't there. But, but I mean, the, the point is, folks, you look and, and you, sometimes it's just like, wow, you know, they are really being used of the Lord. And we look at that and, are we okay with that? Because that's not me. Right? So that's part of where this passage is going, right? In our thinking about God's gifts, we do have to be, we have to accept the differences. We have to be okay with the differences. And, and folks, really, this is totally foolish. But what if your ear wanted to smell. Right? Cinnamon buns coming out of the oven and your ear says, oh, I want to smell that. Right? I'm being a total fool, right? But do you see how that wouldn't work? Your ear, you know, your ear trying to smell, not going to work. Okay? Within the body of Christ, I see what someone else is gifted to do. Oh, I not going to work. Right? And so again, the point is not to to totally fence things off in that sense, because even as we look through these gifts, there's obvious overlap in some of the descriptions of the gifts and so on. There are certain things that are called for all of the body of Christ to participate in, but we but what, what we do find is that. Certain individuals are seem to be especially gifted, right? I mean, we're all called to share the gospel, right? But, but the Bible testifies, Ephesians 4, that there are some who are evangelists. And that's a gift from God, right? 
And again, that doesn't mean, okay, so they're the evangelist, I'm not, I don't have to do anything. No, God says, all of us are to go and preach the gospel, right? But I'm just not going to do it the same way that that person does it because he's got different gifts, right? And so the idea is that, that there needs to be this, this contentment, this acceptance of difference, because God has given, you have received, and someone else has received, right? And it's all by His design, right? So God's gifts. The first point is to remind us that God has given. Now, what God has given, He intends to be used. Okay, and so that brings us secondly to this. God intends that you serve him with what he has given you. He does not intend that you serve him with what he has given someone else. He intends that you serve him with what he has given you. Right? And that you do serve him. Back to verse 6, Romans 12. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, okay, so that's a gift that is identified, obviously a speaking gift. Peter, by the way, in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, speaks of spiritual gifts and he puts them into two categories. Uh, one category is what we would refer to as speech gifts, and the other category are ministry or serving gifts. And again, there's overlap between them in a sense, but certainly you hear here, see here, prophecy, obviously that is a speech kind of gift. And then, verse 7, ministry. Uh, that's the, the word from which the word deacon comes, and it's that idea of serving, right? So it's it's a very general term for serving and ministering, right? But it's it's not primarily speaking, right? Although a speaker, a preacher can minister as well and must minister, but here when it's used separately, it's not primarily a speaking gift. Next you have teaching. Obviously that's a speaking gift, right? Uh, teaching and then exhorting, verse 8. That's number 4. And then also in verse 8, giving, so that's not a speaking gift. That's a serving gift. It's the giving of our uh, financial means is what is primarily in view there. And then there's ruling. And uh, some versions translate that leading. And it's the idea of uh, administration and uh, that role of leadership. And here in context in the body of Christ is obviously where that leadership would be used, but it's not necessarily limited to that. And then uh, showing mercy. So that's the last uh, gift that is identified here. So seven are identified here, uh, showing mercy. The list is representative, not exhaustive. And... As I already pointed out, it ought to be clear that some of these things on one level at least 
all of the body of Christ are called to. Are we not all called to give? To support the work of the Lord and to support those in need financially? Are we not all called to that? Yes, we are. Are we not all called to show mercy? Here's someone in need, right? And they're hurting or there's some problem. Or, and are we not all as believers to show mercy? Yes, of course we are, right? Do we not all have some role in teaching? I mean, older women were told to teach younger women, right? And of course, with you know, parents are told to teach their children. And so we're all to teach to one degree or another, right? And so again, these are not the exclusive realm of individuals within the body in that sense. There's this, in some sense, you know, we're all called to Christ's likeness, but, but the other sense is that there are uh, dispensations, gifts of grace given to us differently where, where each of us are especially capable and gifted in particular areas of service, right? whether it's speaking or uh, serving otherwise. Right? But as these gifts are listed, let's note how uh, they are described. So what you have here is you have the gift mentioned, so that's God's part, right? So whether prophecy, that is, if you've been given the gift of prophecy, then what follows is what you're supposed to do. Okay? So, and that pattern is for all of the seven that are in the list here, right? So the gift is identified, and obviously that's God giving that gift. And then what follows in the phrase is what we're supposed to do with it. Okay, so notice, uh, again, verse 6, whether prophecy, let us prophesy, and notice in the King James Version, all of those words are in italics. So technically, there's not a verb here in the original. Uh, the verb is implied, right? And uh, what it calls the one who has this gift to do is to prophecy, to exercise it, to use it according to the proportion of faith. You have the gift of prophecy. Use it according to the proportion of faith. Now, commentators differ on how that should be understood. Some would suggest because there is an article in front of faith, so it's the faith, right? Some would suggest that what that's doing is it's, it's fencing in, it's setting boundaries to the prophecy, right? If you're going to use the gift of prophecy, then obviously it has to be within the bounds of the faith, right? You know, it would be an improper use of the gift of prophecy to preach heresy, right? Okay, so, so that could be one sense in which that phrase is used. But it's also perhaps uh, another sense, and that is to remind us that when we are using the gifts God has given, faith is necessary. 
In other words, you know, our trust in, our dependence on the Lord, our laying hold of his promises, right? Uh, promises that include, I will never leave you or forsake you, right? Promises that, in, that include uh, the idea in teaching that, that he will provide what we need to serve him well, all of those kinds of things, right? So in that sense, that's, that's truth about the use of gifts that would apply to every one of the gifts, right? Okay, that we would use it according to that proportion of faith, that we would bring faith alongside in our use and exercise of that gift. Okay, what about the next one? Verse 7, ministry, let us wait on ministering. Okay, so I've got the gift of ministry. What am I supposed to do with that? Minister. Okay, interesting. I've got the gift of teaching. What am I supposed to do with that? Teach. I've got the gift of exhortation. What am I supposed to do with that? Exhort. In other words, take what God has given you and use it. Use it. Don't bury it in the backyard. Right? The parable of the talents. Here you've got five. Here you've got three or two or whatever it was. Here you've got one. Oh, I'm going to bury it in the backyard. No. What God has given you, use it. It's as simple as that. Right? Use it. And of course, use it. we're not using it for our own benefit. We're using it to minister to the body, right? First Corinthians 12 is very clear about that, right? That God has given these gifts that the body would profit, right? By the use of them, right? And so what, what's also interesting is that when I've been given the gift of ministry, what do I do with that? I don't teach, I minister. When I've been given the gift of teaching, what do I do with that? I don't prophesy. I teach. You see the point, right? So again, that comes back to let's not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Let's be content with what the Lord has given us, right? And so, so it, it's just that emphasis that that okay, I, you know, I don't have to be worrying about what God has given other people. I don't have to be concerned about. I just need to to take what the Lord has given me, and use it as I am able and as opportunities are there. And by the way, the opportunities will be there, right? I mean, that's why God has given you those abilities that you might use them. What's also interesting, the next gift is this idea of um, giving. And here it's let him do it with simplicity. Uh, that word translated simplicity is also translated another way. Turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter eight. We're almost done here. Second Corinthians chapter eight. 
And here you have a two-chapter section, um, chapters 8 and 9, that have to do with giving. Right? So we're talking about this gift of giving. It's something that we're all called to do as members of the body of Christ, but some are especially gifted uh, in this um, very helpful ministry. Notice verse 1, chapter 8. Moreover, brethren, we're looking for the word simplicity. You're not going to find the word simplicity, but it's translated a different way in this verse, right? Or in these verses. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, we want you to witness, to know the grace of God bestowed, notice again, grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia, how in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. And so here are these Macedonian believers and they stand as a remarkable example of really living out this principle that is being taught about this gift of giving. Where's the word simplicity? It's actually at the end of verse 2 translated liberality. And so in the you know it can mean simplicity, right? And in other uses it is translated simplicity and it makes total sense in those uses. But here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and if you look down at chapter 9 verse 11 being enriched in everything to all bountifulness. That's our word, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. Look at verse 13. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of God and for your liberal, there's our word, distribution unto them and unto all men. And so in the context of giving, this word seems to, the, the sense is generosity. Right? There's this bounty, this liberality. So when I have the gift of giving, what am I supposed to do with that? Use it. Use it lots. Don't be stingy in the use of it. Be generous in the use of it. Now, is that not something... That principle, would that not apply to all the gifts? Yeah, it would. You know, you got the gift of exhortation. Oh, sorry, I'm not going to exhort you, right? I'm done, right? I've filled my quota. You know, I've given, you know, my 10%. I'm not going to exhort you. I've already done my yeah, foolishness, right? Okay, so this principle, you got this gift. How are you to use it? Use it lots, right? Uh, then you go back to chapter 12 of Romans. Next gift, ruling or leading. 
So that's the gift. You've got this gift of ruling, this gift of leading, administration. How are you to use it? With diligence. And what is interesting, that same term is found in verse 11. Not slothful in spirit, fervent in spirit. Sorry, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And there's that idea of diligence. Right? So again, that applies to all believers. And there's a principle here, right? When God has given you that gift, let's not be lazy. Right? Let's not be lazy. Let's exercise it diligently. And then the last gift that Paul identifies here, showing mercy. Okay, so I've got this gift of showing mercy, right? Of responding to the needs of people around me. What am I supposed to do with that? Do it cheerfully. This is the word we get our word hilarious from, right? Do it cheerfully. That same word is used in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, nor of necessity, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Right? So there the word is used in connection with giving. So again, the point is, when we have the use side, right? there's a principle that is being taught that applies to all the gifts. It's according to the proportion of faith. It's use the gift, use the gift, use the gift. Use it lots, generously, right? Use it diligently. Don't be lazy. And be cheerful. You're serving the king, right? You're ministering his truth to his people and to a world that is so desperately in need. May the joy of the Lord be your strength. Right? Cheerful. That's how you make use of God's gift. So, thinking about God's gifts. God has given. Paul serves as an example, right? How he used what God gave him. We all have received from God the gift of salvation. All of us, right? And as we receive these differing gifts, we are content with the differences that God has ordained and we take what he has given and we use it believingly. We use it as he has given it. We use it generously, diligently, cheerfully. So, let's ask God to help us do that here in this place among these believers. Let's ask God to help us do that. Folks, the emphasis on this passage is not, oh, what's my gift? I don't know what my gift is. Oh, what's my... That's not what the emphasis of the passage is. The passage takes for granted that God has given, right? And the point is not, you know, oh, I've got to figure it out. If I can't figure it out and put a label on it, you know. No, it's 
Who are you? What can you do? Start doing it. Look to the Lord. Ask for his wisdom and help. Open your eyes to the opportunities. And then step in and do it with all your might for the glory of God, for the good of his body, and for the extension of Christ's kingdom. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for giving us your word. That is another gift that you have given. And we pray that you would help us take the counsel of your word, Lord. In it, you reveal your will. And so we have learned, been reminded something of your will concerning what you have given to your people. And so, Lord, may we bring it out of the classroom and bring it into the laboratory of life. And Lord, as we present our bodies in worship to you, as our focus is on living, pleasing unto you, Lord, help us to exercise what you have given to us in a way that is pleasing to you, that is in keeping with your will as it is revealed here. And Lord, we know that you will be glorified. We know that your people will benefit. And we know as well by your grace that lost people will be impacted with the gospel as they see it lived in this local church. So, Lord, we need your help. We are dust. We are so yet fraught with an old man that is selfish and turned aside to sin so easily. So, Lord, help us, save us from ourselves, strengthen us by your Spirit. And uh, we pray, Lord, that our profiting would appear to all as we give ourselves to these things that your word has set before our hearts and minds. We will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.